stepping into this place in our um, series on the manifest presence of Jesus, and I'm coming on the heels. Jake spoke here last week. I wasn't here. I was down the hill, and Brooke spoke, spoke down there, and um, they were talking about being people of his presence, and I think both of them referenced this story about um, Moses and, you know, some of those, if you know the story, you know, Moses gets all the way to the edge of the promised land, and he can't go in because of, uh, like, some disobedience, and and both of them pointed out how, you know, that seems like such a crazy thing that God took away from Moses in that moment. But Moses, it didn't actually phase Moses that much because he had already had this ongoing, like, so close relationship with Jesus that that was his promised land, right? Like, that was better than the stuff he got from God was just this relationship that he had with him. He was, he was a, 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 a person that loved God's presence, and that was what mattered to him. And if I could sum up what they were sharing with us last week— and use it, you know, this is something I felt like the Lord just said, here's our theme for this morning. I, I feel like they were telling us to get in the fire, okay? Like, get in the fire of God's presence. Get there. Get into his presence. And I feel like what the Lord said to me this morning was that we're going to also say, now, learn how to carry a torch, okay? So we get in the fire, and then we learn how to carry a torch. We learn how to be flame bearers everywhere we go. And I love how Brooke pointed out that we have experienced this, this revival thing, like t to some degree. It hasn't looked like it's looked at Asbury, but we've experienced the manifest presence of Jesus. And, and, and I think our question over the years is how do we live in this place of revival? How do we live into it even more? And so today I want to ask us some questions. I feel like I have more questions than answers. This is a good thing because I, I, um, oh, I think it's a good thing. I saw this post this week about Jesus and his life. They had the number of questions that people had asked Jesus in his, in his three and a half years of ministry in the Bible. And it was, you know, in the hundreds. And then they said he maybe answered eight of those questions. Okay, so he didn't answer a lot, but he asked a lot of questions. He asked like even more than were asked of him. It was, it was crazy. So you can Google it, see if you can find the post that I found. I didn't take time to look it up. It was just a lot. And so I feel like I'm on the journey together with you this morning. L asking these questions of how do we live into revival? How do we learn to carry the flame, the torch of God's presence um, everywhere that we go? And how do we do that to greater and greater degrees in our lives? And I feel like we've, there's, Jesus has been capturing both, um, this is a theme for me right now, he's capturing our attention and our affection. And I feel like he's got to do a little bit of both of that. Like, I think, um, Brooke and Jake really spoke to our hearts last week, and I want to continue to do that, but I also want to speak to our heads, like this, like what are some ways, some pra I'm, I'm super practical all the time, so what are some practical ways that we live into this being people of the presence and carrying this flame with us wherever we go, and I, and I think, just like Jim just shared, like I think only Jesus is able to help us make that journey from our head to our heart and to, to put those two things together 
Um, and, and I think that's, I want to say at the beginning and at the, at the end, all of this stems from the Holy Spirit giving us this hunger. It's like not something that we can work up. You guys know this, but it's like Jesus has to put this hunger in us and to initiate all of this in us. So I'm gonna, we're going to jump into a couple Bible stories. Again, I'm going to try to not keep you forever. Um, but I want to talk first just to give a couple contexts or a few contexts in which God encounters us. This is just going to be helpful for talking about this. So first, sometimes there's like very extraordinary encounters with God and sometimes there's very ordinary encounters with God, right? Like sometimes his presence manifests in fire that you cannot deny. And sometimes it's very simple and it's very sweet and heartfelt and it looks, you know, very ordinary in our daily lives. So in the Bible, you, we have all these examples of God coming in fire, right? You have Elijah and the fire falling on top of the mountain in front of all the, the prophets of Baal, and God sets the, sets the altar on fire. You have Paul on the road to Damascus, and the light shines on him, and he's blinded, and he hears, he, he sees Jesus and meets him there and, and has that crazy encounter. You have Gideon on the road where he comes across this angel that's not just any angel, angel. It's like the Lord of heaven's hosts, this pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. You have Abraham having three visitors, like, come to his house, and, and one, you know, and he's like, he recognizes his, that, that it's the Lord. Um, and, and you have modern day things like Asbury, where these extraordinary examples of God coming in fire. And these things happen. God does come in this way. But he also comes in very, very ordinary ways. I loved when Michael opened up the series down at Franklin Avenue, and he was talking about the omnipresence versus the manifest presence. And Michael just had some very simple examples of God's presence coming over a lunch table with a friend. Um, or his presence coming at work as they went into a time of like actually apologizing to somebody and repenting of something that happened and how God created a prayer time in that moment. And I think of times when I've been in like smaller gatherings with people and somebody just shares something that totally takes our attention and, and moves our agenda to whatever, like, to something different because we just sense that God's presence was in whatever was being shared. And it, and it was, it, it's not dramatic. It's not like this fire falling. There was a, a quote that I put in here and then took out um, from the College of Prayer that talked about, you know, God, sometimes God comes in fire, but the fire isn't the important thing. It's really God's presence is the important thing. And so sometimes God comes in very extraordinary ways. Sometimes it's very ordinary. Um, but when he comes, like there is something extraordinary about it, even if it's in the mundane of life. And then sometimes God comes in corporate gatherings like we're in right now. And sometimes he comes to us individually on, in our daily lives. And corporate gatherings, that doesn't all look one kind of way. Like sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's just a few people meeting for like prayer together or meeting to talk. Or sometimes it's a missional community and God meets us in different ways. And sometimes it's 
attend these larger gatherings, in corporate gatherings, whether it's small or large, sometimes it's like really sweet like it was this morning. Sometimes we, we get into it and we start dancing and, we, and we're jumping up and down and we're sweaty and it, and it feels like um, that's the, the theme of the day. And sometimes it's really heavy, um, like his presence. And I felt like this morning, like what a joy it was to just sit in his presence and to be with him. Like this is the good thing. If you are the kind of person that doesn't get into it when we start jumping up and down, that's all right. Like if you're the kind of person that likes to be still and know that he is God, like you can do that. You can do that. You're welcome to. And anytime we're in these environments, I love it because we're just making space for us to be with Jesus, whatever that looks like. Like whether you're sitting down, whether you're laying on the ground, whether you come up to the altar, whether your hands are raised, all that Jake and the other worship leaders are doing is creating space for us to minister to God's presence and commune with him, however that looks. So we do that. We do that corporately, but we also do that individually. And this is where I want to talk a little bit practically today. How do we learn as individuals to take what we get here and to steward that through the week, to learn to host God's presence and carry that flame, that torch into our everyday lives, into the everyday spaces of life, mostly non-dramatic, you know, mostly just, just the real stuff of life. How do we carry his flame? And I want to suggest that we learn to carry his flame when we privilege his presence above everything else. There's been a verse that has stuck with me. Um, When we were in the middle of the fast, there was a lot I think we were praying into in our upper rooms and other spaces about what is it like to, to like grow in the fear of the Lord? And that's always a weird concept. You try to explain that to kids, like how do you tell them what the fear of the Lord is? You know, like it's, it's this awe or this reverence of the Lord. But there's something about it where if, if, we're, if we live in the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man, like his presence, his words, his um, voice has the preeminence, has the priority in our life. It takes center stage. Um, and that is what we privilege with our time and our use of our lives. And so there was this, there was this reading. Gwen was leading worship that day, and she read out of Psalm 86. And there was a, a verse that struck me. It was very simple. This is actually, just, I, like, I like both parts of the verse, but we're just going to focus on the second half of it today. Psalm 86, 11, the second half says, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And this has been like a question for me. I told you I'm going to be asking a, que- a lot of questions today. I'm asking like, how do we carry this flame? But how do we have this undivided heart? What does it look like to live into the fear of the Lord, to live into revival into our everyday lives? Um, and I think, I think it's something we have to wrestle with. What, I mean, obviously, we can't stop loving other things in our life. We love our family. We love other, you know, we love things. But how do we live with an undivided heart, privileging God's presence above all else? So the first thing I want to suggest to you, and the first time we're going to pull out um, a scripture this morning, we're going to go to Exodus 33. We kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday. It'll be up on the screen. But the first thing I want to suggest in privileging God's presence above all else is that we keep turning our attention and our affection to God. 
This is an active thing. You know, in the scripture, it talks about be being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I had a nickel for every time my dad growing up as a preacher said, be being filled, I would be a rich man, okay? I wouldn't have to worry about what do you do with retirement, okay? So um, we, this is a continual process to keep turning our attention and our affection to God because so much other stuff is crying out for our attention and our affection. So... Brooke talked about this story last week, so I'm only touching on like a few of these stories. I'm sorry. I, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to 1 Samuel when we like jump through one scripture and, and work through it. I'm just going to reference a few stories and pull some stuff from them for this morning. But Brooke talked about this story in the life of Moses. Um, and it kind of, it's a, re, it's, it's weird. It's like this situation where, um, you know, God's saying, well, I'll let you guys go to the promised land, you know, but I'm not going with you. And then uh, that's the first half of the chapter. And then the end of the chapter is like Moses, like begging God, like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere without you. But like right in the middle is this story about Moses and the tent of meeting. And it gives us like a hint of how important this is that it's placed right here in the middle of this story. And so I just want to read these verses uh, together and, and look at Moses and this tent of meeting. So it says this in verse 7 of chapter 33. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return <clears throat> to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua couldn't get out of the tent. He liked Jesus too much. Okay? So we have this story of Moses and this amazing, like, experience of this face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus, uh, with the Lord, sorry. I was, when I was practicing this sermon, I was like, I keep saying Jesus when Jesus isn't around yet, so sorry. He's there, he's there, all right. So he has this relationship with the Lord that is face-to-face, -face. the cloud comes, like, who gets this, right? But this tent is set aside outside of the camp because Moses... Moses was saying, this is this sacred place where <clears throat> when I want to be with Jesus, I'm going to go out to this place. And it was so sacred that everybody would stand at the doors of their tent and, and worship as Moses went and wait for what the Lord was saying to Moses. And I want to suggest to you, obviously, we don't, we don't get this kind of like exactly, no, no clouds of smoke hover over your living room in the morning at 6 a.m. when you meet with Jesus, right? But we do have the Spirit of the living God living within us, something Moses didn't exactly have. Um, and we have this opportunity to to go into the tent of meeting. There's no tent anymore. We have this opportunity to go into the presence of Jesus whenever we please and to privilege his presence in that way. And so my first questions for us this morning about, about this are, how do, how do we do this? How do we 
Um, how do we keep turning our attention and our affection to Jesus? How do we spend time in the secret place with Jesus? How do we get into his word and into prayer and into worship? Um, Jim already mentioned, I wanted to bring this up. Like for some of us, it's like getting out in the, in the, in the woods. Like it's getting out in, you know, into the trail and walking. For some of us, this is like our bedside. For some of this, for some of us, this is like on the, in the car on the way to and from work. Like where do we create the tent of meeting in our lives where we can carry his presence wherever we go? For me, some of the things that have been helpful have been getting in, in touch, getting in relationship with the community of celebration and learning some of these contemplative practices where it's not like, you know, I, I grew up with like one form of meeting with Jesus, but there's so many ways that we can meet with Jesus in silence and solitude. You know, like we, we can set uh, simple practice like setting your, um, your phone timer for seven minutes and just sitting in silence with Jesus. Um, for me, this has also looked like, um, you know, the community of celebration, they pray three times a day. They've done this for years and years and years. This is how they privilege God's presence in their, in their everyday lives. Um, pretty radical for a lot of us that have other jobs and things like that. For me, this has looked like putting a timer on my phone to say, stop and just pray with Jesus where you are. Um, and giving myself daily offices where I can stop and slow down and make room for Jesus in my everyday life. Because otherwise I feel like most of the time I'm like a horse with blinders on and all I can see is the thing in front of me and the task in front of me. And I have to create some tent of meeting type places in my everyday life, in the middle of my day. Like it's one thing to start your day there or end your day there, but it's another thing to say, how can I make space for Jesus to keep turning my attention and my affection to him in the everyday things that I'm doing, just like Moses did. Now, the second thing I want to suggest is that we actively look for God's presence and activity. Okay, so here's another story from Moses. If you go back to chapter 3, <clears throat> okay, this was actually referenced at Franklin Avenue. I listened to Jake's sermon, but I, Jake, I can't remember if you referenced the burning bush last week or not. Um, simple story that a lot of us, you know, know from, uh, from the Prince of Egypt or from kids' stories or whatever. You know, Moses is out in the desert. He's tending the, uh, the sheep, uh, probably a place of a lot of, a lot of silence and solitude and thinking and being with Jesus, uh, being with the Lord. Um, and it says this, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Pretty crazy. So, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from, the, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. And then, you know, the whole story of Moses and the deliverance of God's people. But I, I love this, okay? This is pretty, it is dramatic, okay? This is extraordinary. But I just, I think about Moses choosing to turn aside and look at this bush. Like, there's probably a lot of things in my life that I, that you could call like burning bush moments that I don't turn aside to look. 
Like, I just keep on with what I have to do, and I don't make that choice to go over and see what is actually happening. And I love that in the verse it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Okay? So like, it's like Jesus didn't call out to him until he decides to go over and to see what's going on. And I think about, you know, that in my life. Like how often am I just passing all of these things along the way because I'm not choosing to turn aside and to look. Now, I want to like flip this example and talk about like something completely different, not nearly as dramatic. In the New Testament, Paul in Acts chapter 16, he goes, um, he, he goes into Philippi, a new city, and, um, and he is, is there one before that, uh, Chris? Um, so there it is. So he goes into the new city. He's, you know, he's on a missionary journey, um, but Paul is actively looking for God's presence and activity when he comes into this town. So it says this, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city, uh, the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, for whatever reason, I guess back in that day, Paul knew that if you were a praying person, you went down to the river to pray, okay? So they went to the river to find these people. Now, these people might have been like, prayer might have been, you know, to any God, to, to whatever. These were maybe just spiritual people who were seeking and hungry. Um, and so he goes to meet these people. He, he says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this is a story of Paul. Um, and I forget if it's Paul and Silas who's with Paul at this point. But they go seeking people out, seeking out where God is moving and where God is working. Like they're actively looking for this. And when they sense this open door with Lydia... They, you know, share the message, and then Lydia opens up another door, the actual door of her home, says, come over to her house so she can hear probably more about this. Um, and Paul is just responding to the openness uh, of, of God's activity in Lydia's life. There's this line um, from an Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem that I've seen referenced in a few different places, um, and I really love it. It's in the common prayer book that a lot of us use, um, but it says this, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. I love that quote. Like, Elizabeth Bear Browning is basically saying, look, God is at work in all of these places, um, but most of us don't take time to see it. We just, we think it's just an average blackberry bush, which, hey, I mean, blackberries are great. Like, eat some blackberries. Jade, you were just saying, Mercy never had a blackberry in her life. I've done something wrong as a parent, okay? So, Jade just told me that like a week ago, uh, and I didn't know Mercy had never had a blackberry, all right? So, like, blackberries are wonderful, um, but 
who, like how, how many of us miss what God is doing in these common places where God is at work? And if we would see it, we would understand, like Moses, this is holy ground. God is at work, and I need to pay attention and enter into this moment. And, you know, just, just like, I mean, you find Jesus in lots of places, but I just want to make this, like, make this point. There are two places where I feel like I often find Jesus. That's wherever there is need and wherever there is hunger or openness. Sometimes those are in one and the same place. But you know, Tim, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, has said in his ministry that he finds, and this is interesting for us, like think about like us and our, and our hunger and need for Jesus. He, he has found in his ministry that the, um, the easiest people to present the gospel to are either people who are experiencing great need, who are open to a savior, or people who have gotten everything in this life that they could have ever wanted and found that they came up short and lacking. Um, so like two ends of the social kind of class spectrum. But he said right in the middle, the people that feel like they, they, they're doing okay, they have what they need, and they still haven't gotten everything out of this life that they want. There's still things that they're working towards in this life. He said those are the hardest people to minister to. It's really interesting. Um, we often find Jesus wherever there is hunger or openness. And this is the story of Paul and Lydia. Like there's hunger there. There's openness. I, this is like a simple little thing. And I have no idea if this will like um, have a second half of this story. But I was down on Franklin Avenue the other day by Eli's. My car's been sitting there for a few weeks. Pray that Eli fixes my car. Um, and, um, and there's this guy walking down from Dollar General, and he, and he didn't have a coat on. He was like a high school kid. I was like, dude, do you need a ride? And he, he lives in the same neighborhood I do, so I, I don't know him. But he was like, yeah, that'd be great. So I took him up um, on my way back home, and I took him, dropped him off. And we just had like little small talk. Um, and, and for whatever reason, like, I mean, we said some things like, he talked about like wanting to play, like I asked him what he was doing after school because he's a senior. And we talked a little bit about that. And for whatever reason, instead of like, thanks for the ride or like, nice to meet you, it was like, hey, nice to meet you. I hope I see you again sometime. And I was like, mm, like interesting. Like, like that felt like an open door to pay attention to like, like not many kids in Aliquippa have I given rides to and they're like, I hope I see you around again. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I just thought like, I need to pay attention to that. So what does this look like for you? My questions again, are you able to be interrupted? Are you willing to turn aside and look like Moses did? Do you find yourself making room to go places where God is moving? Do you find yourself looking for hunger and for need and places where you could um, enter in and bring the flame of God's presence into those places? Um, these are questions for us. Um, now, um, we're running shorter on time. So I think I'm going to curtail one story. We were supposed to preach today about Simeon and Anna. Okay, and I was going to mention Simeon and Anna, but what a cool example of people that just like practice faithful waiting on Jesus. And like what I see in their life, if you know the story, Simeon was told at some point in his life that he was going to see the Messiah. 
And, he, and we don't even know how long that was. And he just like waited, and, the, and it says the Holy Spirit was on him. He was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple. And I think about that. I think about, like, are we tending to the words that Jesus has spoken to us? Like, are we waiting on some of those things and paying attention to them? We always talk about like Kairos moments in, at the Gospel tab. Kairos moments are these moments where we know God is speaking, and we have this choice to just keep going with our lives or to pay attention to what God is doing and to reflect on it, to discuss it with people, and to really enter into those spaces. And then there's Anna, who never left the temple. Um, after, you know, like her husband died and she's been without husband for years and years and years. And she gets to be a part of what's going on because she has so consecrated her life to God that when she's there for that moment of Simeon meeting Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and she just gets to enter into that um, because she has given up you know, she's been praying and fasting continually in the temple. And I thought about that. I was like, I know what we're saying. We have a job. We can't just like stay in the temple all day long. Well, how many of us know that the, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So we're always in the temple. So like, how are we taking care of the temple of our heart? And how are we consecrating ourselves um, to God and giving ourselves to Him? How are we practicing prayer and fasting on a regular basis um, like Anna did? So we can practice faithful waiting and tending to the words of God. And lastly, obviously, you guys don't, you don't need me to talk too much about this. We keep coming back for more filling and more hunger. We keep asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. Like, don't ever overlook that prayer. Like, Holy Spirit, fill me. We need to be being filled, as my dad said a million times growing up. It starts with the realization that we can't work this stuff up in us. We can't do any of this. Um, we don't have the, the determination to grit ourselves into hunger for Jesus. We have to get that from him. So like, I've barely scratched the surface, but the questions for us this morning, the big question is, okay, if we want to, if we want to live into revival, to get into his presence, to get into the fire and learn how to carry that torch with us, the big question is how do we privilege God's presence over every other thing in our lives? How do we live, as Psalm 86 says, with an undivided heart, turning our attention and our affection to Jesus, looking for God's presence and activity, faithfully waiting for the words and the things that he's said. But that verse in Psalm 86, could you put it back up there one more time, Chris, back at the beginning? Psalm 86, 11. It's interesting how this is worded. It says, the, the psalmist here says, give me an undivided heart. This is a prayer of the psalmist, like realizing that he can't make his heart undivided. He can't separate it all out. Like he can't, he can't fix himself. So his prayer is, is just to go back to Jesus and ask for it. And that's the only way he achieves like the fear of God. The only way he gets to the fear of your name is if God first deposits this undivided heart into him. So I just want to simply finish with this this morning. This is, well, let me just say this. In my story, I feel like this is so true. Like there's, there's practices and habits and disciplines that we need to avail ourselves, our, ourselves to, but it only happens, it's only happened for me when Jesus has made me want that. 
And at times I've had to like, it's not just wanting that. It's like needing to get free of other things that I've given my heart to. It's needing to get, um, to, to like have people pray for me that God would take some of that fear of man out of me so that I can fear God more fully or take some of those divisions out. And God has to do this stuff supernaturally um, in our lives. And so if you feel, as we get in these moments of God's presence, if you feel something stirring in you that, that wants that undivided heart, that wants to privilege his presence, but it's, it's like, how do I do that, Jesus? How do I step into this? How do I live into revival? Then I would just encourage you to pray this prayer. Um, just to pray, Lord, give, give me, give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. Have people pray for you. Have people pray with you. Learn what it is to have a tent of meeting in your life where you can carry this flame into other places you go. But, but first, you have to receive that from the Lord. <laughs>